Good morning, good morning. This is Aisha, Black Girl from Eugene. I am also broadcasting on www.kepw.org, a community station here in Eugene. So welcome. Um, we are starting right off at 11 o'clock and I'm waiting for my most esteemed guest here, uh, Kakai. Today's show, we are gonna be talking about the realities of what's going on around Aiden Ellison, um, who 19-year-old who was shot dead in uh, Ashland, Oregon last week. And Kakai is a community leader in Ashland, and he will be here to talk to us about, uh, sorry, he'll be here uh, to talk to us about what's going on in Ashland, um, how we can support, what the BIPOC community are going through, um, and we're going to get into it shortly and we'll wait for him to log on because we're going to do the split screen situation once again. Um, so while we're waiting for Kakai to join us, then I also want to tell you guys about... Um, okay, good morning, sir. <laughs> it worked! We did it! <laughs> <laughs> Nothing better than a little, uh, a little uh, dry run, right? Like that—that'll get us through. Um, yes. I want to make sure. I want to make sure I can hear you. So just say something real quick. Cause I have a microphone sitting next to me, so I want to make sure I can see you, hear you for the audio. Okay, I hear you. Thank you so much. Okay, I didn't do my announcements. Um, I didn't do that. I'm trying to think of a good announcement. I just want to tell y'all that my merchandise is out now. It's on the website. You can also buy like hoodies and t-shirts on for merchandise. And I also have some swag, which is like cups and mugs that have my logo on it. And if you go to my website, um, blackgirlfromeugene.org, then you'll be able to see a tab that says merchandise or swag and you'll be able to pick whichever one but they make really cool gifts and they're super beautiful so go check it out that's my one announcement and kakai we are going to be having more announcements about your books coming out you want to say something real quick more to come look out we're going to talk about it quite a bit so look out okay all right so i of course reached out to you immediately um after well you reached out to me i reached out back out to you we've been talking about it back and forth about the passing the murder of aiden ellison and his family and uh, the, not his family but the murder of him and how his family has had to come out and make a really i mean her her mother's statement was so real and just enough with the apology and the tears but like look at the reality of the life right so i you're down in ashland you're down in medford you're down in that area you're a community builder i wanted to hear the truth i want everyone to hear the reality of being right there on the floor i want to hear 
what's going on for all of us and I don't want to be the only one talking about it. I thought about coming on here by myself and I was like, wait a minute, of course I'm going to have Kakai on so he can come in and talk about this more in more detail and just just there. You know, I need to be able to process with somebody. And I also have a gift for the community that I will tell you about at the end of this. Yeah, I, I, I hooked up, a, I hooked up an, I created an amazing amazing opportunity for the BIPOC community in Ashland and surrounding areas, so I will tell you about it after. You know what? Last week when we had a, um, a Black Joy, we were talking about how the narrative in these newspapers come across. And then, like, just for the man who was who was shot here in Eugene, we still do not know anything about him. The only reason we knew anything about him is because his sister called and made a, and came out and said, hey, my brother is down there. This is who he was. This is who he was shot. And then we knew who he was. The EPD still hasn't been accurate, still hasn't said. The newspaper is bland as hell. I mean, it's none of it is coming across in honest, in truth. And the thing is, is that it's as if there's black, not black people surrounding, looking at each other like, was it your brother? Was it your cousin? Do you know where JoJo's at? Like, I mean, honestly, like, we don't know who it is. So we're all walking around like we're, we're worried and we're more, not that we weren't already aware, but now it's like a... a, a yeah, it's like a PTSD level of, you know, of hypervigilance around what's going on. And so now we got, we've got Aiden, who's 19 years old. Okay, so tell me what you understand. Like, I, when I looked at the story, what I heard and understood was that the, the murdering man, okay, whatever his name was, I don't even want to name him, just the murdering man, the man who murdered this boy, actually had a complaint about loud ass music went downstairs complained the management came out to handle it and then this i'm trying to come up with a name that doesn't you know make me look out of character <laughs> let me be so his his uh went up back upstairs got the gun and came back down and shot this boy so, uh, and they're charging him or something, aggravated murder? Second degree, second degree man, uh, second degree murder, something manslaughter, um, uh, disorderly conduct, uh, you know, because they throw a battery, okay? Okay, so, we've had to be Sherlock Holmes, so you've got that. Okay. Very near correct, very near correct. So we've had to be Sherlock Holmes as to what happened um, two weeks ago. So, oh my God. 
Right. You still have a lot of people who are inside of hotels, and hotels are getting bank off of that money because it's starting to flow, which is good. I'd rather there be people who live here being able to stay here because they are a part of the community and the pillars of the community than not. So Aiden was in a room with two other people, and um, he who should not be named was in a room with his family, and that consisted of a child. So at around 2 o'clock, because of the internal anxiety of living in the Rogue Valley as well as the immediate displacement, Aiden is outside, and he gets access to a car in order to play his music. Right. So... This is where local factoids starts kicking in. It's got to be like 38, 42 degrees. So he is probably turned on the vehicle. Mm-hmm. And the, um, we ruled out from talking to a couple other people whether he actually turned on the car radio. Mm. So there's no car radio. What we're talking about is his cell phone up as loud as he possibly can. His cell phone? Inside of a car. Correct. Because he's inside of a car. So... He who should not be named, because this is 2.30 in the morning, he who should not be named around 4 o'clock in the morning leaves his domicile, his hotel room, in his pajamas, and he walks out, hears this music, and for something it disturbs his spirit to the point where he has to go over and interact with Aiden in some way, shape, or form. To the point where there's probably some defiance that's coming from Aiden because he was in peace, comes and disturbs his This guy then decides, like you were saying, to go back up to his uh, domicile, to his hotel room. Now, change out of the clothes that he was in. He's now out of his pajamas and he puts on his regular clothes. He grabs his gun. Mm -hmm. And this is where I can hear Ice Cube. Now, because then I really be faded. Premeditated! That's what I'm saying! Okay, okay. Changing clothes, taking your time, thinking about what you're doing. This was not exactly. Right. So now, Zeta comes downstairs, goes over to the clerk, and her name's come out. Forgive me, it's been a long week, and I've got like story on top of story. So I remember her first name being Alice. So she now comes into the picture, and she's like the only person who's on campus other than uh, the two parties. Right. She gets a complaint. She's confused because she hasn't heard anything or she's not saying in the news from the news articles that have come out so far that she's hearing any music Mm -hmm. in order to justify what it is he's saying. She gets pulled out. At this point, we imagine Aiden gets out of the vehicle because like, yo, my man, what are you making such a big deal about this for? Right, right. So this guy now interacts with Aiden and it gets escalated. The clerk leaves to go back inside there's some kind of scuffle you hear a pop the uh, clerk comes back out then runs back in calls the cops and we get history from there oh my god acting like sherlock okay that's acting like sherlock that that ain't nothing that's been coming out in a in an objective way from the news this is y'all y'all getting this together lurking searching for the information asking questions on our own, whilst being scared, whilst we've lost a child, whilst we have the pain and the grief, we're also having to try to find the truth at the same time. So what the hell? I mean... What we're paying the police department for, we have no absolute idea at the present 
are or the media, um, and, and rightfully so, because they're working off of a premise that isn't real. What's you know what that? Is, okay, the premise that there's no race involvement, that there's this guy that just tripped for some reason, and now we're looking for so the other reason this white man. Right. First off, that's where I said with the journalism, let me go back. Right. 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 But the very first part that's supposed to come out if you're doing print journalism is just a ticker tape. And I said this on um, public broadcast mm -hmm. um, when we did the interview. And that's going to be 100 to 150 words where it's just breaking news, something coming out of the police department, blah, 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 developing a story. Stay tuned. Mm -hmm. That's it. Mm -hmm. We're just going to let you know something has happened. Right. That's like some standard shit, isn't it? I mean, that's standard. Like, you know, I I think people need to understand who don't live in Oregon just how small Ashland is. And for a murder in the middle of a, of a hotel uh, parking lot is like the literally the size of a regular high school <laughs> in a big city. Like, the, the size of Ashland is so small for, for the fact that I mean, you can drive through Ashen in about five minutes. Like, I mean, literally from one end to the next, if you just go straight through, you can go straight through Ashland in about five minutes. So the thing about it is, is that for, for this level of just basic police procedure to inform the community, and this is what I'm, this is what I keep re like reeling on, is how much bullshit people don't understand that we are getting from the people who are like supposed to protect and serve and everyone's talking about how let them do their job. We are waiting for them to do their job. Like that we are waiting. You see what I'm saying? And so when Ashland is so little and you don't have, someone gets shot. I, black kid, no black kid, but a, a, someone was shot and killed and you don't have a actual conference and tell people what is going on. But in this day and age, in the situation that we are in, in this climate, you've got a 19-year-old boy, you've got loud music, and you've got an old-ass, white, crazy dude. So what you're going to tell me that, okay, I'm not going to say he was old because he is our age, but you know what I'm saying. I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> but he's crazy, that's for sure. Right? He wasn't old. He wasn't old. He was in his mind. He wasn't old. So you got this murder that happens, and all of a sudden, it falls silent and then you want to pretend like because that the race isn't a factor if it wasn't a factor i believe there would be more news about it i believe we would be hearing about it every other day i believe we'd be hearing about it every hour on the news hour you know what i'm saying but because in oregon all these race murders that are happening racially uh um driven hate crimes that are happening up the corridor we the salem eugene 
and here, police department and people, right? We got both factors going on. And somehow we're not hearing about this on a regular spiel like we do about, you know, Atlanta or Charlottesville or, you know, any of the other, uh, and I'm air quoting Black Lives Matter or just basically race-based uh, hate crimes that we hear about on a regular basis. But right here in Oregon, it just falls silent as hell. Like it don't even exist. And that's the part that is when I say cultural or racial gaslighting, this is the kind this is what we're talking about. This is what we're talking about. Is because we know what happened. That we don't have to quit we don't uh, investigative journal of the year, we don't I mean, we got it. We know what's going on, right? But then we, everyone else who's looking around going, well, the police didn't say that, and the man didn't know that, and uh, the article doesn't say that, like, as if that's what's factual. You can't listen to black people. You can't listen to the family. You can't listen to what the poor boy who was murdered, what he said before he was even in that circumstance about him living in Ashland alone, just being black. All of that is as relevant as a film, be, t- film being taken of the murder itself. It's all that relevant. Okay, I'd like to pivot back to some wisdom you were dropping and have been dropping over the last two weeks. What blows my mind is how our white friends and family can buy a ticket, work with us, and go to a Brene Brown event, but be completely unable to apply any of that when it comes down to racial healing. <laughs> know the level of the block. The level of the block. To where, like you've been saying, we are dealing with mental illness. For this man to be so triggered by a 19-year-old boy choosing teenager, forgive me, I'm trying, but I'm old. I'm, uh, he's a boy to us. He's a boy to us. He's got children to say. I mean, he, he's got children himself. He can sit there and see this as a child. Being able to get him to just lower his music and then... The fact that it had to be you being outside and then there being the barrier of a vehicle because it's cold. He's got to have the windows open and have the car on. He's not in there. Because mm-hmm. that's why they said go use the car because mm-hmm. they know it's cold outside. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know? so yep. Like, come on, dude. You, to, to, to have to soothe yourself in that manner. To you know what? Whenever you use that word, soothe yourself, it's to me, it's so nasty. And I, <laughs> you know what? It's, I swear, it sounds so nasty because it's tr- it's like it's ew. Like it really was like, ew, they felt better. So to me, that's what happened. So I, had, I woke up this morning and I wrote that down and I asked myself because we actually decided that within the sanctuary that we were going to rest because now they got four organizations that are operating right now. You got Soul Black, which is political. Uh, Southern work and black leaders, activists, community coalition, their political base, which is business, black um, alliance, social uh, empowerment, uh, Ashland Beat by Century, which is culture and comfort, and then uh, Soul Equity, which are the uh, younger persons. They came up because of George Floyd and the protests that grew up here. They're the ones who did the uh, rally for um, uh, uh, Aiden on Wednesday. Okay. On Wednesday. Um, I'm sorry, where was I going? You were just saying that there's four groups now working with, uh, working in the community. And I was saying that, what did I, what did I say? Oh, Lord, look. Look. <laughs> I know it's a flow. I'm sorry. 
Well, you know what? I was talking about the idea that we. I think we were saying that the that he was a boy. Oh, the soothe yourself, the soothe yourself, and how it was so nasty. I was saying. time ago that I was was concerned about the fact that black death was becoming popular now that black death is popular we have the ear of some people and now that we can talk about white supremacy like it's a household conversation I would hope more white folks more white folks I talk to that when I say white supremacy and I want to break down the deconditioning of white or uh, deconstruction of white supremacy, it's not hitting them like it used to hit them. Like when I I'd say white supremacy, they'd be, <gasps> now they're just like, okay, I've heard this before. Like I've heard the words, you know what I mean? And so let me let, let me know how you're going to break this down. So to me, that that is where the progress has been. But I'm doing the same thing that you're doing. Is I'm oh here comes this train that comes all the way comes through right in the middle of my show. Um, the I, every time. Um. So the, I've been thinking about just how much like this space that we I've created here is about you and I, it's about black folks, about BIPOC folks, it's about how we feel. And I think about it like I'm, I struggle with the idea that like, even with the con, with the, with what Obama said, with the, the slogan thing. And I'm, I'm thinking about like how much we really don't and how much we really do talk to white people. Right? Like this is a conversation for white people to pick up and we're trying to like work with white people. We're trying to get white people to understand it. And at some point I'm like, there's a space for us that we don't need to do that. You know what I mean? There's a space for us that we don't need to continue to talk to white people about this. And then there's a space that black folks need to talk to each other. And that's, you know, and not necessarily about not necessarily about the healing part of, of dealing with white people, but about each other and how we keep like working with white people. Like we're not, we're not looking at each other to work with each other. We're not talking about each other's predominantly like what our need to hold on to white supremacy and our narrative to white supremacy and how we hold on to it. You know what I'm saying? And right, and so when I'm thinking about this with Aiden, and I'm like, you know, as black-centered folks, we're looking at Aiden like he moved out of his hotel room. Probably was like, I'm going down to the car. We could like see the conversation. We could see how this is working. We could, but if we're coming from our black perspective, we almost automatically switch it to a more to a to a like a digestible narrative for white folks right so that we can bridge this so that we can bridge the so we can get it to move you know but then my problem is when do we switch it back you know what i'm saying like when do we switch it back to being like okay now we are you you're you hear us now you hear what we're saying so now we're gonna break this down and we're gonna come real correct with you this is what the the core issue in our blackness is the thing is is that this is i i don't know 
I do know. I, I look. I'm processing. Ever since, right? Ever since Aiden, and ever since, um, you know, uh, I don't want to miss say his name. I didn't write it down. The brother who was shot here, who's not even from Eugene, um, the man who was, yes, yes, and the man who was killed, um, and uh, Graham who was killed in Salem. I've just like it's been such a small amount of time. Yes, I'm just like. I feel like my body has become a little numb right now. I was having a hard time having this conversation this Sunday. I was like, I just don't want to talk about this anymore. You know what I mean? <laughs> Who are you telling? Especially when, as I was saying on the broadcast, with the public uh, broadcast, um, I know I'm the trigger to ask us to be the bridge that does the healing too is noble savage trope it's 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 back to a intellectualization of our experience to the point where cultural anthropology is being applied to us in real time and we're not being perceived as whole human beings so period it was a fight to get the news media to put a racial lens on Southern Oregon in that incident, okay? So that's been a fight, okay? That's been a fight. I don't want to stray too far for that because it's so clear, okay? Um, the, the idea that race was not an element when yesterday, Friday, because this stuff is still coming out at the speed of Trump, and I had to, like, double-check that this happened, you know, yesterday, I had to do a cap. Yes. Come all the way down. Yes. And say, yes, this was yesterday. Yes. The date didn't change, right? Yes. <laughs> the date didn't change. Yesterday, okay, an article came out, and it was, again, it was still, it was <laughs> slipshod journalism. They were talking about a school board meeting that happened that Thursday, right? Because now it's Friday, they're going to release it. You read three quarters of the way down, and you run into a very interesting paragraph where it says that they are having this intense discussion over freedom of speech and what you can wear on a t-shirt because there were children who organized a KKK group on the playground. And they're attempting to figure out was that in the realm of freedom of speech. Well, and, they were, and they literally had reps on the school board who, who were trying to trying to defend the usage of even the term Nazi. Okay. I mean, to me, I feel like now we're up against, like, this is the whole point of it being off the books, right? When people be like, oh, it's, it's not, we, we changed it. We changed the law. It's still on the books. It doesn't matter because it's like the law is different. If it's still on the books and you got people like this, that are interpreting the law or interpreting the amendments or interpreting the constitution to benefit their gain in wealth and resource, then we are interpreting it in, a, in the sight of oppression. There's no way that it's inequity. And therefore, <laughs> yeah, whoever determines it, whoever, oh, it makes me so, it makes me so angry. It feels like you can't, the reason why it makes me so angry is because we can't say what it is. We still are behind this wall of if I say this is not true because you are miseducated, not miseducated, but not educated, right? 
because you are not educated. You are not qualified to be the person to make these decisions. Now, if I'm black and, and you're black and we're both sitting there educated, understanding how this works, we don't have the power, right? We don't have the structural power to say this person needs to be removed from making any decisions around any of this because they are not qualified, right? And so I get frustrated because we still, we don't have, it's like the structural racism that people are not, are, are trying to ignore as if it's just like a choice of, and it's like a choice of individuals. The structure is being held up by this, literally this level of, of corruption. By, by putting people who are white-bodied, like you, like how you quote white-bodied, in positions that they are unqualified for, these laws that are antiquated that they are upholding because it upholds their livelihood. Right? There's nothing about any of the past that has black livelihood and wellness based in it. Nothing. There's not one part of this country that has black wellness at the center of its structure. Nothing. So as long as you're upholding the structure in the way that it works now, you are implicitly, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> working right. against BIPOC people. Correct. Like your brother was saying uh, recently, why do you blow up the bridge? Because there's oppression on the bridge. That's right. Stop depression. Right, right. It's got to stop. It's got, you got to realize what we're working with and dealing with. So how's everybody? I mean, this sounds like the stupidest, the stupidest question to ask. But like, what's the what's the temperature? What's going on? How are people? How how are how's everyone? Like BIPOC folks, I'm sure the sanctuary's probably been hit up for some peace and quiet. So I'm, you know what I mean. So I'm wondering, like, what's the what's the inside conversation happening with us? Right. What sustained us beforehand is still sustaining us. Going into the grocery store is just as dangerous as it was beforehand. Right. Now, the fact that uh, some of our white friends and family are now brave enough because of the pressure of the moment in order to walk through the door to see what's on the other side of themselves when they look at white because it feels shameful in the moment. To see the police chief have to have the pressure of the FBI in town to be able to see race in any way, shape, or form. Again, members dealing with KKK parenting issues, but this ain't got nothing to do with race. Right. 
Right. Okay. In the area. Okay. Right. Right. So now it's the whole Rose Valley that's involved with being on fire when it comes down to these frames of references that they're working from and wanting us to, to navigate. Right. So I hear you. But I mean, you know the benefit of, uh, and I mean, the only reference I have, and forgive me because there are lots of people within the uh, community that are operating off of different spiritual and biblical cords, but culturally, you got to have a church mother. Mm-hmm. You got to have a grandmother in the community. What I was talking about at the event, Mother Lawrence. Mm-hmm. You got to have somebody that's going to say, okay, okay, that's enough crap now. Right. Get on up. Right. Yeah. I already knew what it was beforehand. Eat some soup. Eat some of this bread. Eat some of this macaroni and cheese. Go to sleep. We're going to be black tomorrow just like we were. <laughs> okay. We can only cry for so long. We can only cry for so long. Get on up because we're gonna be up. We up against it tomorrow too. We up against it tomorrow morning. When you get up in the morning, you still up against this. So stand up straight. Pick your head up. You know you're beautiful, and Nana loves you. You know what? And you gone. Right? I mean, that's how it has to be. That's why I'm thinking. That's when I think about the family. Um, that's why I'm thinking about Aiden's mother, and I'm thinking about just friends and family down there. Is that? When you, I, we talk about this on my show all the time about the lack of community in these very, very white areas in Oregon. And when I do my race equity trainings, I talk to white folks mainly about the, the recognition of, of black wellness. You know what I mean? And so um, it's, for me, I feel like we, because of historic necessity, keep a lot of our info keep a lot of us of our joy and who we are behind closed doors because that's where we're safe you see what i'm saying and we can't just like aiden go outside right like any other boy at 19 and play his music now we all can talk about oh it was two o'clock and three o'clock none of that equates murder you see what i'm saying none of it right at 19 at 19, I'm thinking all he was doing was playing music because don't ask me what I was doing at 19 at 4 o'clock in the morning. Like, please, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, just that, he wasn't doing nothing, nothing that required a gun, that required anybody to to harass him. It didn't require any more than a, excuse me, I'm trying to sleep upstairs. Could you lower your music a little bit? That's all that required. That's all that required. So, my thing is like, when you don't, I talk about the fact that the black community in Oregon is not only is it small, but it's wounded. You see what I'm saying? Uh, because the proximity to whiteness that doesn't recognize the wellness of black people means that we are constantly hiding. Like people are like, are, are, are always like, where are all the black folks at? Where are they at? Where are they at? In our homes, at home. We stay at home. And if you cannot isolate self, then you're in trouble. You're in very much trouble if you do, because you gotta have a certain level of wealth to be able to do that. Right. In Ashland. And, Come on now. In Ashland, I know, I know. And then. Because this stuff is crazy. So if you, you know, because if you have a um um a family and you need to have more than one bedroom, you're not trying to do a studio or something, then it's gonna be two stacks to get to be able to rent anything, and then you know that means that you gotta have at least sixty. 60 stats coming in a year, you know, and that's, that's, that's a steep, uh, that's a, ticket to Disneyland. Oh, <laughs> you know, like, no. 
No, it's true though. Because people don't understand Houston. I mean, not Houston. I just came out. That just something's calling me. <laughs> no, but um, Ashland, Ashland is um, an affluent community. You know, it's an affluent community, and and people need to understand what that means. You know what I'm saying? So when you're talking about the people who are not of that demographic, you know what I mean? We are, they're already segregated out to being, you know, othered. And then on top of it, if, if those other people happen to be black, then you already two, two tears out of being treated like a human being. So, and then, you know, if you want to be a black man, now you got a third tier out of being treated like a human being. And then if you want to be like, you know, struggling, it's like, it just goes on and on and on. And then you talk about Ashland in that area and how many black folks live in Ashland and then the numbers get even smaller and you start talking about how many people are pushed that far out. And then it becomes like, that's where black folks belong. You see what I'm saying? So it's like, it, it doesn't, unless you're acquiescing to a, to a community that chooses to decide that when they're reading this news article and they don't see this, this was race related and they don't question that, like, I'm sorry, as soon as you see this happening, if you are at all aware of what the hell is going on in the United States of America, the first thing, black or white, you should be asking, was this, this, should, this sounds like it was, this, why aren't they saying it's about race? If we're still talking to you about whether this is race related, this is what, this is what the problem is. <laughs> we're still talking about that? Yes, it's race related, all right? It's race related. Yes. E-W-E-L-L. Yes. He was found inside housing property, inside the fence in the grassy area. This is in Ashland, so people understand, just recently. Yeah, this is in Ashland. Southern Oregon University is in Ashland. So there's like um, Main Street, which is parallel to uh, Ashland, and then you've got uh, Garfield Park. And so all along Garfield Park to where you go to the uh, middle schools, it's all SOU housing. It's college world. Right. And it's different apartments, but and, and different people may purchase, you know, housing inside of it because it's collected. But it's all uh, college world. So this body was found um, in the morning. The two people who found it, as well as from what we're hearing, and then we're going to just, you know, like, We'll stick to just what we know, know for sure, and then there's like lots of background stuff. But again, contact towards SOU security failed. Mm-hmm. Ended up having to contact Ashland Police Department, and as we all know, never, never call the police nope. department when it comes down to a black body. Because it was a black male body that they found. Two police officers came out, and there was the body was dead, dead by gunshot. Can't find a gun. There's no cuts or anything else on the body. And a third officer shows up. Once the third officer shows up, the body is moved away from the fence, onto the concrete, not cordoned off, no caution marks, no blanket on top, no sheet on top. Just a dead black body in the street. And and, and a gun manifests. There's no autopsy. There's a cremation. And the case is closed the next day. What? That's what we okay. So that's just the face. That's the face of it. So it's gonna be. We're gonna have the two people that, that saw everything and that got the the what their fight has been 
Yeah, I saw that. Of education, they're going to need to come forth and do their, 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 you know, I don't know, investigative reporting. I don't know, police work. <laughs> let, let somebody know something. <laughs> you know, you know, to let people know that, you know, what, 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 again, we're doing Sherlock. Right. What we're deducing or, or, or what had to most plausibly have happened right. in the last 34 to 36 hours of this person's life or how the hell we got this body. But the fact that, um, and I've never heard this, and I've been journalism for five years since, and I have two journalism awards, and I don't understand this, but somehow we heard or learned that in um, the Rock Valley, if the police deem something a suicide, which is what they did in labeling what happened, the, the, the journalists, they don't pick that up. They don't, they don't cover those stories. But they do that out. What? Do that in New York? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He was found in the middle. He was on the sidewalk in the bushes when they found him with both his hands up, laid there, fully clothed in the middle. And he told his he told his family he'd be coming back. So he said, I mean, we have the family being like we expected him back. So and on top of it, this man. I just want to put it out there, was a vet, right? Right, he knew how to fight. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, he was a vet. Kill this man? Do you know what it's going to take to kill this man? You ever fought a veteran? I got veterans in my family. Do you, you ever fought a dude? What? Dude. Dude. I'm just thinking about, like, the level of respect that this man has been given, considering that, and, and I, and I, Look, I'm like really struggling. I'm really struggling with our with our black duties to this country. I'm struggling. Um, I have several vets in my family. Several. My mom, my dad, brothers. You know, several. Um, and it goes all the way back. We have vets all the way through. And you know, you think about. I think I even talked about this about the the wars before the civil rights movement. In the civil, uh, the civil war, in all these wars, while black folks were enslaved, we were also fighting in these armies, right? That didn't actually benefit us when the when the war was over. We just gave our bodies and gave our hope to the fact that you would see us, at black white folks would see black people as equitably, right? I struggle with the idea that even in white folks vernacular that this man was a vet he required honorable he required by their law and their rules right Right. honorable treatment we don't have a, a good picture of him we don't have a memorial for him that was not we we this man's body was drug out of the bushes where presumably would have been a little more private into the street was not covered so children women men you know disability not disability able walking by seeing a dead body an honorable man we would have to say right we would have to say based on the white rules that this was an honorable man laying face up dead so when does it when can we just say (laughs) in real time in real world that this isn't working. <laughs> you see what I mean? 
I get. I'm getting. I'm getting tired. <laughs> this isn't working. <laughs> it's been. It's been. Right. That means that this is post-integration. You oh. cannot see segregation in any way, shape, or form. You nope. cannot see lynching in any way, shape, or form. Nope. So what's the pass down to the point where you have this level of anxiety over a child? That's right. Where is it coming from? Where is it coming from? This is where you're talking about, again, that mental illness. Mm-hmm. Because if the white people around you are marveling at your actions and wondering, and, and you know, and we're seeing them, engage in mental gymnastics to try and come up with some kind of stimuli mm -hmm. to justify this when they want to turn away from Michael Ewell when they want to turn away from the KKK being organized on their children's playground and act brand new mm -hmm. where's this coming from what you mean where is this coming from I don't know rap music <laughs> turn back around turn back around we gotta start listening to those country, country music a little closer like what's going on what's happening like I don't understand look all I'm saying is like I think I think it was my dad who put a message up in here who, who was like what happened to home training now the home training that you talking about we're not talking about the home training that what my dad was referring to we're talking about the home training which would cause a group of children to assembly on a plate or a playground and talk about the KKK they in their lives shouldn't have been able to see what a KKK person actually looks like in in their robe and stuff because it's it's supposed to be illegal to intimidate based on race and ba you see what I'm saying so if they understand the assembly of a KKK and their children on a playground that what's the home what's the home training happening what's what's happening at home What's the conversation that's not happening at home and the conversation that is continually to happen in white homes, especially the white homes that don't believe that race is an issue? You see what I'm saying? That's the problem that I'm really talking about because, like you said, that man was 47 years old. That's our age. You see what I'm saying? He went to, neither you nor I had to, like you said, it was post-segregation. I don't remember not being at a school, well, in my situation, I don't know. In my situation, I was the only black girl in my school until I was 15, and I moved to Houston. And what was funny is because I went to a school there where I thought I was going to a black school because there was like 15% black kids. <laughs> and, and, all, and my friends, look, my friends be laughing at me in Houston. They be like, you went to the whitest school there was in Houston, and you thought you were going to a black school. I did, because there was 15% black people. Ain't nowhere in my little life in Eugene that I have 15% of black people around me. Okay? I, so it felt black to me. Okay? <laughs> and it definitely... What? Yes, and I've been in um, high school situations growing up in uh, Louisiana, Washington, Marion, where there were like five white kids out of 35,000. See? Right? They were humble. As the IHC would say, I make you humble. You know, I, I think about I think about that that idea. I someone sent me a link today of, of what your Louis Farrakhan it was a, a one a, a clip of him trying to have a conversation with a group of people on a talk show. And I Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was listening to how he was talking to the white folks and I was like, There ain't no way white folks would have heard that. You know what I'm saying? Because the way that he was talking at you know, to them and I was like, Well that's they all thought, you know, 
But the one part was, um, and this has been said over and over again, you know, that it's like, you gotta understand, white folks don't quite understand that if black people weren't kind to our soul core, revenge has never been a part of the equation. Because if that was the case, you know, Nat Turner wouldn't have been, wouldn't have stood out so much. Uh, You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Nat Turner, we were like, well, we know what he did. We, uh, We, you know, we... We get it, right? But that, but that wasn't the masses. That wasn't the masses, and it still isn't the masses. And even in this moment where we're like, "Fight back!" We're looking at these folks like, "Fight back!" They don't know how. What are they gonna fight back? And that's to me, again, going back to the broadcast on public the uh, OPB. We're having a conversation with Thomas Jefferson, and when I make reference that. Thomas Jefferson Jr., Sally Hemi's first child, and if you don't know who I'm talking about, please, you need to take one of my classes and just pay me to know what I'm talking about. Straight up. Straight up. Sally Hemi's first child was Thomas Jefferson Jr. He was white passing like Lena Horne. He, when they saw him, they knew it was Thomas Jefferson Jr. He was the child, okay? He had to petition his own father for emancipation papers because legally he was what not mulatto quadrum something mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. so he was like one sixteenth mm-hmm. of, of a black okay so Archie he's Archie what right. <laughs> right now just to bring it modern right bring it to the bring it to where they get it okay yeah. <laughs> Right. And all he gotta literally ask his father is, is my mother still in that room? Okay. You can't lecture me at all about freedom, justice, and equality. You can't lecture me at all about brotherhood. You can't lecture me at all about humanity. You can't teach me anything about spirituality. The only thing you can do right now is sign that sheet of paper and let me go. And I'm gonna be back to my little brothers and sisters. Right. And that's exactly what he did. There are only five people that uh, the third president of the United States of America I will, that's it. That back then. The woman who covered up 
Ewell's body was a black woman. She came out, got a sheet. I, right now, when you talk about this, and I said I had a hard time, like, I, I mean, just because I, I, I become speechless with what I really want to say. You know, I become speechless because it, it's, it, it numbs me to believe a 19-year-old boy is beautiful. I mean, was shot dead in a parking lot. Um, I mean, I have a 25-year-old son. When, when he was 19, we had, that's when I was assaulted by police protecting him. I had to lay my body on top of him so they would not, so they would not shoot him and or at that time I thought tase him. I, I put my body in between the cop and him. I said, nope. So, and I, and we, and I got beat down for it, right? So my boy at that age was 19. So when I think about it, it numbs me. PTSD comes, it comes creeping in. Um, and so I think about it and I'm like, that other, the other man who I believe still wasn't old. How old was Ewell? Like 20 something? 38. 38. Okay. So he was older, but I mean, so he was 38. So he, his body's laid out on the ground and these white folks that you're talking about, right? The good doers, the ones who are holding the sign and the ones who were walking by being like, oh my God, his mother, I want to pray. I want to pray. I want $25 to the GoFundMe. Like, where's it at? Nobody over the decency of this man's body thought to cover him up until a black woman came hours later with the bla- and, and did that. I know there was white folks there because that's all that's there. You see what I'm saying? I, all that's in Ashland is white folks. So, I mean, the people, the BIPOC people who are there are few and, and far between. So, I realized that the crowd that was there had to have been at least a few white folks that didn't think for one second that this man should be covered. You didn't speak up and you didn't say nothing. And that's why, you know, you might know some black people, but if you haven't had this hard conversation, you haven't had tears. And, and throw down conversations about race, respect, and dignity. You don't have black friends. You know some black people. And understand that we are looking at yourself as a human being, how you see us as human beings, when you can walk by a dead body and not go, excuse me, officer, why isn't he covered up? You see what I'm saying? That's just one, one gesture. It's a small gesture to understand that you see black people more than that three that that two fifths of a man or whatever three years of a whatever the hell. I'm angry now thinking about the idea of how many white folks we walk by every single day who would see my body in the street and not even think of the decency of covering me up. You see what I'm saying? In Ashland. In Ashland. Oh, they're all liberal. They're all progressive. Look. They felt good 
it, it has to. It has to. And that it's just that idea when you say soothe, it's just such a like a, a warm feeling that comes over your body when you use the word soothe. So when you think that white folks are soothed, like they soothe themselves to see this dead person and they feel gratification and they feel entitled, they feel uplifted by the ability to take one's life and walk free due to it. It's like that, that, that holier than thou, that godly next to, like I get to choose. That is a mental disorder. That's a delusion. That's a delusion. Right. Right. Qualified, like we said it before. <laughs> Unqualified. <laughs>
you know, in the culture. this this level of fear. Now, I want to go back to the idea, and we t- I've talked about it a couple times. You know, the mental disorder. I did a whole lecture on it. The the yes. the thing about the mental disorder part, and I want everyone to quite understand that what people do, even black folks, because like I told you at the beginning of this episode, I said, look. Black folks, we need to, to come together and talk about our connection to white supremacy, right? Like, we need to talk about our level of blindness to white supremacy and the fact that if we're going to say that the violent racism that created this culture, that created the society, and that created the structures in which it revolves around is based in a mental disorder, then there's got to be a little bit of us that are okay with how this this shit goes two steps sideways, right? And so if we're okay with two steps sideways, right, we have to figure out where is our relationship and what is our issues, what is our trauma and our pain to, to deconstructing what we really truly believe was the truth. And we have to forgive ourselves for being, you know, taught and following something that was that was intrinsically, like, killing us at our core. Although... The beauty in which we are and our resilience, like I always say that the connection to our ancestors have kept us standing upright, right? Uh, but there's, there's us, there's us, BIPOC people who are not recognizing the, the, the issues that we have between each other. It's not each other, it's white supremacy. You see what I'm saying? And so if we can't really connect and understand when we're dealing out of this mental disorder, the violent racism is mental disorder, right? If we're going to go on that train, then we got to recognize how much of that train we're swallowing ourselves. And if we can't, right? And if we can't say that, and this is for, this is actually for everybody, right? Because if white folks keep wanting to say, oh, he's, he's a racist, he's got a problem. But please understand that if you're in this society, you are too. Now, and, and the thing is, is that you might not be violent. You might not be violent, but you you walked right past that dead body and did not insist it got covered up. You see what I'm saying? You did not get into that police officer's head face and say, what the hell is wrong with you guys bringing this dead body out here? He deserves respect. Nobody did that. You see what I'm saying? So the level of, I believe, human decency that then gets connect, disconnected and, and connected to whether race or not race or blah, 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 all of that kind of shit, that's a social construct, which means you're buying into an idea of white supremacy that you're not even recognizing. So the truth of it is you've got to step back. And and white folks, the ones who are not violently racist, have to also step back and say, when you walk away and say, oh my God, that was horrible. What did you just do? What, what did you just bypass for yourself and others and the generation below you? What did you just teach? What did you just hold on to? You see? So for me, it's like, I don't want, I, the, the violent racists are obvious. I mean, you know what I'm saying? We can see them from miles and miles away. But the people who are sitting next to us at work, who are, we're grocery shopping with, who will step away to save their own souls in their own space, I get it. It's complicated. I get it. It's complicated. Right? It's complicated. <laughs> but I need you to understand that that's a level of racism and that's a level of privilege that goes along with everyday racism. And so us as black folks, we're walking through together trying to survive, trying to be here, trying to be together. And the more that we're aware, and even this is even for people who are coming along who, who are being deemed allies. Once you see this shit, you can't unsee it. That's the thing. 
That's the thing. So if you still don't really see it, it's because you are not there. You're you're dealing very clearly in a in some realm of racism. It's it's just how it's made. It's just the kink that you're in. It's the pudding that you're eating. It just is what it is. You know what I mean? Yes. So anyway. Yes. <laughs> yes. I I just Yeah. Mm-hmm. in Southern Oregon so we can all have so they know that this this space is for them to speak that I mean the how that we're processing this so we can talk about it we can do it also I'm reaching out to folks in Portland but I, what I did want to tell you is I have a client that I worked with is a global therapist group right and they work globally and so uh, I just did a I just did one of my race training diversity trainings with them and I love they're very nice women this group whole group was like 15 women um, and I talked to one of them and I said, look, all the stuff that's going on around Aiden Ellison in Southern Oregon, wouldn't it be amazing if we could, or you could provide, um, black therapists free of charge for anybody who would want to actually engage with them. And your company pays the black therapist to see just a few, I mean, maybe just two sessions, whatever. I mean, whatever you can work out, but something to allow that the family and the black BIPOC community in Ashland be able to access some sort of therapy by black folks who are not necessarily in the situation, but who are, who are community. So you don't feel so alone and that it, it's, this is top notch therapy. This is top notch therapy. So if we can do provide that free of charge, two or three sessions, just enough to like, just get it started, just get it started. Um, and I think we all could benefit from therapy. Like we all can benefit from talking the truth. <laughs> I see your expression like, uh, yeah. So that's what I'm working on right now. And I'm going to let you know that I've already contacted them and she's already working on uh, trying to recruit the black uh, therapists that are willing to do this. Because like you said, COVID wise, it will be all through Zoom. So um Right, and they they won't be in Oregon. These black therapists will be everywhere. Yeah, and so um, as soon as they get it together, I'm gonna contact. I'm gonna give you, and if you think there's someone else, a contact for them to to set this whole system, to set this up so that it can be available to people. That's the next step, and I will definitely let you know. Alicia Brown Cromwell has to be in the room. That's the sister in the corner. 
Oh, I know Talisha for sure. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. So I need, I just need a contact for the area so that the therapist can can get the people that they need to contact. You know, and get the families first, first and foremost, right? The families of all these three folks who've been murdered, first and foremost, and then everyone surrounding this working, like you know, people like us included working. You know, working the ground, working the, 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 the news people, trying to get the truth, losing our sleep. BIPOC folks, we look for therapy in Oregon and we're having to talk to more people that look like the oppressors that, don't, that aren't hearing our narrative. And this is not therapy for us. This is not a free space. Yes, even though the heart cracks open. So, yeah, that, and thank you. Yes. You're welcome. Yes, yes, to all that. Yes, 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 yes. So, yes, you're right. <laughs> Because right now we're, we're really starting to set up the boundaries of what we're going to do and what we're not going to do. And a lot mm-hmm. of stuff that we're going to stop doing. And so that was, that's this last book, The Emotional Labor, Message of a Organic Black uh, Intellectual. Mm-hmm. It's to like really start like closing the door because after George Floyd, I had three nightmares of police shooting me. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to keep this up. Right. You know? Right. That's, I'm not going to keep this up. Um, and the white racial innocence is... It's a ploy, it's a dodge, it's not real. Right. So let's address it, let's move through it. Uh, I do like a 11 point, what do I want you to do? I, I can make it plain, mm-hmm. but I still need you to consume it. I can't make you. You can pull, you can bring them to the water. You can bring them to the water. You can't make them drink it. <laughs> well, I can make them stand there until they get thirsty. <laughs> he gonna stand there until he water drink it. No, it's true. <laughs> Oh, I know it. I know it. Aren't we tired, man? Aren't we tired? Lord have mercy. I I appreciate you so much, Kakai. I'm so happy that we met and we are past crossed and in the time that it has. It's obviously meant to be that we knew at this time that we'd be working together, you know, in conjunction to this fight and to this realization. And I don't even want to... I mean, I like I said, it, I have gotten to the point where now I can recognize my PTSD before it before it consumes me. You see what I'm saying? Because before what would happen, like what happened after George Floyd, was I got to lay down, I got to be in bed. Like I can't, I can't function, you know? And instead, I remember after that, I remember walking around my house, like just walking around, like not doing anything. <laughs> just, just, and my daughter was looking at me like, what is wrong with you? You know what I mean? Cause I'm just like, just mending around the house. And I said to her, I said, I, I, this is too much. This is, this is too much. It, you know, and she taught, she encouraged me. She said, if it's too much, get on your podcast and talk it out. Like you have been, you know? And I said, okay. And I went to the back porch and I, and I did that, that after the hashtag episode. And so now with this, I came back and I was thinking to myself like, oh, I'm starting to numb out again because he was 19 years old. It started to click to me. It clicked. And I was like, I'm starting to numb. I'm starting to numb. I don't have words. I'm losing my words. You know what I mean? And I was like, no, I'm just going to say what's here. And but that I want I'm saying that as a reality check for even for black folks looking at me. You know, asking me, are you going to the protest? You're going to go to the protest? You're going to do the thing? You're going to do the thing? Right? Look, other black folks seeing each other. Like, do we recognize each other? Looking at each other going, sis, brother, are you all right? Like, you know what I'm saying? Not just assuming that we're all just like, yeah, we all are there. We're all there. But we are, this is damage. This is trauma. 
And we need to see each other and be like, you know what, Kakai, maybe you don't go today. Maybe I give you a hug. Maybe we eat some soup. <laughs> maybe we watch some wrestling. And maybe we chill out. Right? Like, maybe that's what we do today. You know what I'm saying? Like, maybe that's what we do. Yeah. My currency isn't my brokenness. That's heavy. That's heavy, actually, because that when we when we started talking about the, the when white folks want to listen to you is when you like dead on the street when they when you you know like they want to be like oh and then all of us it's like our, like you said death black death is popular right now. We were talking about what did you say? It's like our your our struggle is our currency. That is the the biggest load of crap that is. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? But it's the truth. It's like, damn. Right, right, right. Boys and dogs, they always, they, uh, they, um, they always hear the story of how the thugs live in worry. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's just ridiculous. Yep. And that doesn't need to continue. We can change that up. I don't want to be too thought the roads that grew through concrete. Concrete. Being in concrete. Right. Let me get some rich wall. Right. Right. That's right. We need to heal. person just did a combined lecture where they did one half and I did the other half we should do a combined lecture it would be fire and th- this is what I'm thinking um this is co- this I mean we we got a job for life this is so deep and complicated it ain't like we struggling for for content okay it ain't like we struggling <laughs> but we will have to talk about it we got content for life. Oh my god. <laughs> All right, Kakai. I think we got. You have anything else you want to say before we get? You want to promote anything? Want to say anything? Want to? Oh, oh yeah. The, the only other thing I want to promote is that we are twenty days in front of Kwanzaa. We're twenty days away. Yes. Are y'all doing anything? Kind of tell, uh, any kind of community. Oh, wait, I am because, oh, I was looking at the comment. My dad said, I am because we are an African thought. 
Exactly. Talking about the community piece. We're not that individualism does not work for us. It does not work. It doesn't breed healthy thoughts for our for our soul. Right? We need each other. Um, so uh, are you guys doing any kind of uh, public celebrations around Kwanzaa or is it just going to be personally yourself? Right. We're not we're not talking about the same thing. We're having two different conversations. True. Yeah. True. Yeah. send it all over I will be sharing that link as soon as you have a link for people to uh, contribute to that and um, also any of course I'm going to be talking about your books when it when they come through and also um, like I said if you are wanting to have more conversations about this you can and you're wanting to hire Kakai do we've got the links he's on Facebook what's your Facebook link again or your name on Facebook where should people reach you if they want to talk to you Okay, so there I will have that. I mean, I'll ha- he's tagged in my in this video anyway. So if you want to talk to him about perhaps having him come and lecture or whatever, then then do the same thing. I'm here in Eugene. I do the same. Well, actually, we really don't do the same thing. But it's it's I do you know race and equity training and facilitation. Um, and Kakai will will get you through the history. Get we're all there. We're both there. We're both available. We're both totally willing to get folks onto the right and same page. <laughs> so, all right. So, you know, um, I, I, I love you. I think I'm uh, hope that you're taking care of yourself. Take care of the community there and send my love as much as you can. And I will be in touch with that therapy hookup. All right. Well, love right back at you. All right. Peace. 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 Peace